Fairdyce Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507 332 7372. Art Zany, radio for the imagination, with your host Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, radio for the imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Thanks so much for tuning into the show that celebrates all things creating and stories. You know, I'm going to just start off with a line. I was just goofing around on the computer, couldn't figure out what to write for the opening for the show. And I just stumbled on this. We are made up of stones and stories, bones and glories. And I kind of liked it. I don't even really know what it means. But what I imagined was this collection of skipping stones piling up on the lake bed bottom, each stone carrying a wish, a memory, a moment. And over the years, this is an anchor or our way of maybe understanding the world. We collect these stones, carry them, cast them out, remember the pieces of our stories. And we are storytellers. We are humans that live in relationship with other humans, and our connections are our stories. And these interactions shape the way we carry ourselves and what brings us joy. I like to say we exchange bones with each other. And we relish the company of each other's stories because we are made up of stones and stories, bones and glories. I had kind of fun with those words. I don't really know what, I was just my typing fingers, right, on a blank page. And I didn't know how to uh, start the show. But I know that I want to kind of keep exploring that idea because stories are often on my mind. And you know, if you listen to Art Zany Radio, I love stories and I've always loved falling into a story. And it's a joyful place for me. And if I have a story with me, then that's a good day. So I'm going to invite you today to sit around the table with us to enter a story. It's an old story, a 400-year-old story. Maybe it's a new story, too, because this is going to be the first time this gathering tells this story, and it'll be the first time you hear the story, and this will then become our story to share. So today in the Arts Any Radio studio, I'm going to welcome to this, the uh, studio uh, Susan Carlson. She's a director at the Northfield Arts Guild production of The Winter's Tale for Shakespeare in the Park. Welcome again. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. And also joining us is uh, Paul Gleason and Birch Carlson. They are two of the leads in this production of The Winter's Tale, which I cannot wait to share with listeners more of the story. This opens up, we're, we're doing the show a little early so people can make sure and get their tickets. It is Saturday, July 28th. It's that weekend. And then the following weekend, Thursday, um, August 3rd, it starts. So it is once again back for Shakespeare in the Park. So that's going to be a really exciting thing. First, let's have you each introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your theater world and maybe your connection to this production or this this play. Susan, we'll start with you. I'll and, start with me. Yeah, I'll okay. start with you. <laughs> Well, um, I think I've, I'm sure I've said this before, but uh, I, I, I love working in the theater and in, in this theater in particular where every mix of people comes out, makes a story different, as you say, but I particularly love working outdoors in the park, so I'm really glad to have the chance to do this again. We're lucky to uh, have you because not every director will say that they like working <laughs> in the park. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and which, I know, I, I always say, I'm not... Sure, I understand why that would be because it's it's not it's less about you know, the challenge of being outdoors, but it's I, I find it very freeing to have a, a space that is open that is out in the world that then you know really uh, requires the audience and and the actors to you know make a world together temporarily, and it, and it really is. You know, the magic of it is how much it is possible to kind of encase that, well, in, we've got an actual circle so that, you know, but in a metaphorical circle to, to pull that together and have um, people 
um, in a in a different engagement than I think you sometimes get, where the audience is out in the dark and the actors are up on the stage under lights. And yeah, I mean, it, the it's still it it's the same relationship that works, but just in a you know just a different feel, I think. Yeah, and you've done so, uh, several Shakespeare in the several, Park productions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Remind us again of some of the ones that you've done in the past. Uh, well, the very first one I did was. Um, from the other end of Shakespeare's career was a comedy of errors, and that uh, that was that was a lot of a lot of fun. Um, it's it's not again not as not as well known as some of his other plays. Uh, I uh, had a, I got a, I got a chance I got a turn at Midsummer Night's Dream uh, on one of our anniversary years, mm-hmm. <laughs> ten years after we'd done it in the park for the very first time. And um, I think most recently was Macbeth, so it's 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 the gamut. And Macbeth was also just I, I'm never going to forget doing that play. I can <laughs> outdoors imagine. in the park. It was yeah. So yeah, so that I think uh, Winter's Tale has got its own challenges. It's less tidy than some of his other plays. That's and a nice so, way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had a lot of discussions about how you know we you know can help make the story coherent you know how we can make it i mean meaningful in a way not so much about bringing bringing it all up to contemporary ways of thinking about things but trying to make sure that you know we don't lose a contemporary audience because the you know the story is going all of a sudden off this way and off that way and you think you know Mm -hmm. okay what's going on here why why is this character in this play? <laughs> that was an actual question, Lillian. <laughs> what on earth is he thinking? <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So I'm thrilled. I think everybody yeah. listening should be thrilled that we're back to Shakespeare in the Park, oh. and I'm glad that you're behind the directing mm-hmm. this production. Yeah. So thank well, you. And I, I, each time we do it, we've got people who haven't done that before. In some cases, people who are very experienced in our local theater scene and get to do something different. Yeah. Well, Birch, I, that's one question I have for you. You've been on Arts Any Radio before, talking about some of your singing and other productions and musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this is, uh, is this your first Shakespeare? Um, no, this is, this will be my third Shakespeare in the Park. I okay. did The Tempest in 2017, and then before that was um, Twelfth Night in 2013. What keeps you coming back to Shakespeare? Um... I think the, well, first of all, doing it in the park is such a unique experience. Um, it's it's very unpredictable. <laughs> Things happen. But it's also really kind of magical being out there in in the open air. And, um, and then when the sun goes down and it's dark and the bats are swooping overhead. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just, it's a very different experience than doing it inside our, our little theater, which... I love our little theater, but it can get a little claustrophobic sometimes. So it's a very different feeling, especially, I mean, being out there with the cast and hearing yourself out in the open air um, in that circle, which is a very cool place mm-hmm. to have a stage. And and people may remember one of the last times you were on, you were talking about a CVRO production where you were doing some singing yeah. outdoors when they had yes. their, I think it was the fall in the park. I, yeah, well, I sang two concerts with them last year in the summer and then in the fall. And I can't remember when I came and talked to you about it, but that was outdoors too. Mm -hmm. Um, But luckily I was miked for that because I was singing against the whole orchestra. We're not miked in this show. No one has a microphone out in the park for, for Shakespeare in the park. So another challenge. It's all our own voices. That's well. It's great to have you, and I'm so so excited. For, to, we'll you. talk about your character in a sure. little bit, but let's get uh, Paul. I think this might be your first visit to the Art Zany Radio Studio. I believe it is. Yes. And thank, welcome, and thank you for being here. Tell tell folks a little bit about yourself, your theater career, and maybe your connection to Shakespeare in, in the Park or uh, this play in particular. Well, I am actually a Norfield native, uh, just like these two. And so I grew up here, and I did a lot of theater in high school, including Shakespeare in the Park. If anyone remembers Much Ado About Nothing from more than 20 years ago, (laughs) I was Claudio. Yep, I was Claudio in that one. Um, And so I moved back to town in late 2021 and this is my first time back on the Northfield stage. Well, congratulations. We're excited to have you and you've done Shakespeare before? Yep, that's Besides right. Besides that one, were there others? 
Oh, I think, you know, other than like monologues and classes and reading the plays for classes, I don't think I've had other opportunities to perform Shakespeare in front of an audience. That, also, this, this is wonderful. And uh, this production, I don't, how should we um, introduce people to The Winter's Tale? I, I was thinking about, you know... We were afraid you were going to ask that. <laughs> Well, it seems a natural question <laughs> because it might be one people aren't familiar with and are, you know, some of the others that you've mentioned instantly, you can create an image in your mind. Um, this is one that um, I, I don't know that I've seen produced before. Yeah. And so it's, um, and, and it, I, I think as we all love Shakespeare, you know, it's still thinking about this idea of a story that's 400 years old that um, still has elements of it as you read about it that you think, now that, I can see echoes of today in that. And mm -hmm. that part is really intriguing to me. But the play itself doesn't... Tell me, Susan, why you decided to select it. Maybe we'll start with that. Well, I, I didn't select oh, it. The, the theater committee did. But I, I have to say that at some yeah. point, I think maybe in their decision process, somebody got, got hold of me and said, so um, I know we've discussed Winter's Tale before. Are you still interested in that? And okay. I, and I thought... Oh, now, you know, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> I've always thought it would be a really intriguing challenge because it is, it is kind of messy and, and not, you know, not so as tightly plotted as some of the other plays. So I said, well, sure, you know, if it, especially if it's going to be outside. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, and I think what in, is intriguing is that and he, at the end of his career, he was writing in a different environment from earlier years of his career. There's, you know, Elizabeth is gone, Queen Elizabeth, and James is on, you know, the King of England and Scotland. And um, some of the social environment changes, but also fashions changed. And at least, I have not done a ton of research on this, but at least as I understand it, Plays like this were what was popular, that people were, you know, didn't want the, you know, sort of good, so they, they wanted, they wanted adventure and, and romance and, and, and so um, when I was first studying Shakespeare, all of these late plays were, were um, categorized as romances, meaning that they had, it wasn't romance like love, but like as adventure and, and, uh, and, and sort of impossibilities, sometimes magic you know, improbable circumstances and so on. Um, some of the more recent scholars are, are calling are calling them tragic comedies where, it, it, you know, things are, it's not really one or the other. There are tragic things that happen, but it doesn't all end with everybody dead like in Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not just all, you know, lighthearted comedy either, that there's, you know, there are, happy endings for some and not for others, but you, you kind of transition from having things go badly to, you know, usually in ways that people in the play wouldn't have been able to predict or don't expect that, you know, they, they get a second chance, things turn out all right um, to some degree at any rate. And so it's, uh, yeah, and I, um, I really believe that Shakespeare... I'm, I'm not sure that any writer has a, a sense that they will be around, you know, for 400 years. But very so I, few so are not not writing for legacy. So I, I don't think that you know saying okay now, you know I'm I'm a well known playwright, and now I have to write more important plays. He was he was writing to sell tickets, and he was writing for a company of actors, which is the other interesting thing that. He knew the people who were going to be mm. putting these plays on stage, and that this is true all through. And so he's he's saying, okay, how can I use the people I, that I have available to me, all men, but how can I use the people I have available to me to you know put on get you know a show that that people will want to come see and uh, and buy tickets and pay for our our lodging and our food mm -hmm. uh so you know so he you know made that turn to write this kind of thing and the tempest is better known i'm not sure exactly why and this not so much although i i have seen a couple productions of this over the over the years i think saint olaf did it one mm -hmm. 
here. This is going back quite a ways. And I know I saw the Guthrie do it years and years ago. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not as, um, it's, it's very demanding for Leontes and Hermione in one sense because as, as the sort of in the first part as the protagonists and, and then there's a lot of other things that go on and moments that other people have to uh, bring some dimension to the story, I guess. <laughs> uh, but so it's not exactly, it, well, it's not a Hamlet. You know, but it's got a little bit of, you know, the challenges that an actor has who has to play, you know, I'll think of another crazy king, King Lear, uh, and, you know, or Portia, you know, mm-hmm. who argues a, a case in The Merchant of Venice. And, you know, so it's got, you know, it, it, he had he had good people to work with, I think, because he, he, he sets some... Oh. Some good challenges for actors. Well, let's talk about that because we have the two leads in the, in the production. Bert, you play Hermione. Yes, I do. And uh, tell us about her character and a little of how did you connect with, with you know, her role? Sure. Um, well, Hermione is the queen of Sicilia, and she starts the play being very happy um, with her life. She's... She's the queen. She's um, the mother to a young prince and expecting another prince or princess any day um, and has no reason to believe that her life is anything but what she thinks it is. And, of course, things change for her. Um, when I first read the play, and I, I can't remember the first time I read it, but I did read it at some point, I think for theater committee years, years ago. <laughs> um, and I really loved, there's this tiny, tiny scene with, Hermione and her young son at the beginning of the play and that's I, I think that's my favorite scene in the play mm-hmm. and it's really short um, but it's very sweet and it's this really brief beautiful moment um, that's it's it's quite domestic um, especially for a Shakespeare mm-hmm. play um, I don't think you in a lot of his other plays I don't think you get this window into just this mother-child relationship mm-hmm. um, so that I kind of I mean, that, that drew me initially um, because I thought it was such an interesting, sweet little scene. Um, and then there's more that happens later in the play with her that she gets a lot more to chew on and a lot more to say, um, which has also been interesting to do. Mm-hmm. But that's what drew me initially, um, just how different it was from some other female roles in Shakespeare plays. And I'm curious because I, I think reading Shakespeare can be a, a bigger challenge maybe even than acting it because it's sometimes really hard to decipher if if you're not able to do those interactions mm-hmm. and say those words out loud. Well, I think you almost have to read it out loud. It's not meant to be read in your head. It's meant to be <laughs> read mm-hmm. aloud and heard aloud. And there's always a period in in learning any script any any time you're memorizing lines is you have to sit down and figure out okay who am I what am I really saying here but with Shakespeare it's there's several other layers on top of that okay how do I parse out all these sentences and because it's it's written well our the our lines are written in I mean they're not prose they're iambic pentameter yeah, they're poetry, yeah. <laughs> so you have to figure out okay it's yeah. not what's on this line is not one sentence it keeps going um <laughs> So there's that extra layer of, okay, what am I saying and who am I saying it to? Um, Because it's not always clear who you're talking to in a scene at any given moment. Because there's very, very few stage directions. You could be talking to the audience. You could be talking to a fellow cast member. Or 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 you've been in the middle of a monologue. A monologue. You're talking to somebody else suddenly (laughs) or about somebody else. But you're not always referring to people by name. You're saying he the whole time. Well, who's he? So you have to decipher. Yeah. There's a lot of de- decoding. There's a bit, yeah. Wow. It sounds like, and it sounds like a, um, well, I don't know how much we want to say. You guys have to tell me well, how much is, you want to say. We don't want any spoilers. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> but as much as possible. It's pretty hard to talk about this play I mean, it's 400 years old. <laughs> yes. Somebody yeah, might have already seen it. Somebody might have read it. Somebody probably knows the plot. <laughs> but, yeah. But you have kind of a dramatic uh, role. Yeah. Um, Hermione's fate takes a turn for the worse <laughs> in the beginning of the play. Um, and then halfway through the play, she disappears. And we're not really sure what happens to her. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then the actual action shifts to a different location. We kind of leave behind what's been happening to Hermione and Leontes and go to a different place 
But then at the end of the play, we come back. So people will be is resolved in one way or another. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good way to say it. Mm -hmm. And well, let's hear about Leontes and and uh, the character that you play. So, as Birch said, Hermione begins the play totally happy with her life. She has a wonderful life and has no reason to believe that anything is wrong. But I don't think it's to say too much, because this comes out very quickly, that in fact, Leontes believes, though he's hiding it, that she is having an affair with his best friend, Polixenes. And Leontes believes this 100%. He is completely certain. And the play, at least for the first half, and for the second half too is about the consequences of his Mm. mistaken belief Mm -hmm. and one of the things that makes the role of Leontes so challenging is that Shakespeare does not provide you with an explicit reason that Leontes should believe this Mm. which may have posed a little less of a challenge to Shakespeare's contemporary audience than it does to ours but um, you know as the actor, you have to figure out why you think this is happening, why it would happen, and then, you know, connect it to yourself. Although you don't want to connect this one too much to yourself <laughs> because uh, things go wrong. Yes. That's all we'll say about the plot. And how did you find yourself connecting to the character or, you know, bringing th- those elements mm-hmm. to the stage so that you could convince an audience? Well, I walked into that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... What I will say about it is that I think that very deep down, Leontes is afraid of being replaced. And he, as a man entering middle age, is kind of being replaced. Mm. He has children. People are looking forward to their lives going on. And he's no longer the young hope of the kingdom. And so, as a man who is about to turn 40 in a week, (laughs) you know, I could kind of identify with him thinking, wait, but what about me? Why is the world moving on? (laughs) So that was a real life fact about you. Oh. I'm handling it much better, I'd like to think. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there is surely all of us at some point, look at our lives and say, gosh, the world is just moving on, whether I'm at the center of it or not. Mm -hmm. And most of us can take that as a moment for maturity. He can't. And I think it's about the consequences of his inability to grow up. And and there's a, uh, his fellow, the one that he accuses his wife, um, uh, Polixenes, the king of Bohemia, it, it was there jealousy it it seems like that's a, that would be a theme that sometimes in in shakespeare yeah i mean i think in this case it as far as we know it it's unwarranted um and i um one of the things that uh, paul said about being probably clearer to shakespearean audiences are just m- less less odd because i mean the questions at at not only the very top levels, but down through several layers of society, um, questions of succession and heirs and mm-hmm. property. Property, if you were in one class, um, title and title and property and power, if you were in another class, um, was just simply a fact of life. And so the whole point of having children was to make sure there is somebody who will, you know, replace you and, you know, hold on to that property step into that title mm-hmm. uh, take the pl- take the place at court and it, and i am sure that in you know all through history of of you know not just that time but you know many 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 years on either side of it uh you know a point where you know is does somebody step aside and make room for in most cases their son uh or you know do you hang on to the very end and you know somebody doesn't get to be king until they're how old is charles oh, um, king, pretty darn know. old yeah <laughs> you know i don't know um, he's in his 70s. you know and late I mean, 70s yeah. probably yeah, <laughs> you know and i mean and then for kings the rule is you don't get to be the next monarch until the current one dies mm-hmm. that so that sort of cut and drive for them but i think on other layers there's certainly it's probably that tension is 
And, and like you said, that would have been familiar to the audience right. as, as a mm-hmm. normal way of the world. Yeah. And for us, that's just slightly, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but, but yet it's ultimately a family story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, you know, the place mm-hmm. that we can enter yeah. the story and think about um, where, where these characters go. So we should talk about, you know, some of the other cast members yeah. and, and how this, uh, without giving away too much, yeah. uh, how this, this play sort of sets in that world. Yeah. I do just want to add that I, I may agree with Paul that for not, for contemporary audiences now audiences that if if we don't want to just think Leontes is some sort of crazed monster um, that you know thinking about the idea of how you know midlife crisis uh, <laughs> uh, if you know on the, which is the sort of very cliched way of referring to it but having you know moments in life where we think you know oh you know what have I done I've you know I'm I've I've lost this this whatever kind of power I had to make you know make my life different make things change and mm-hmm. you know now what and and the fact that that gets displaced onto his wife and his friend is uh that's probably his biggest flaw is that he you know can't doesn't really doesn't really know what the actual problem is so he he creates a problem <laughs> and that's that's very true and uh there are a whole cast of characters, as you mentioned in this production. So, oh, and let's talk about the family then and the, the cast that you've put together for this production and how you were able to introduce this story to them and kind of get into the world of Shakespeare. Whew. Um, well, all the way, you know, into the audition process, it's, it is interesting from a director's point of view, I tend to respond to how people sound, and so um, you you read and read a play, and then in <laughs> auditions you give people. In my case, for this play, you give people scenes to read from, and and it's a, a major challenge to have people you know take a look at a page of Shakespeare and try to work their way through it. But you know, I I tried to find things that were not as speeches that were not as complicated as some of the other ones, um, and you know, you sort of, you, I guess I always have been lucky enough. People, you know, come through and you, th- you think, oh, well, you know, that could work that way and that could work that way, and you know, sometimes you have a have some obvious choices, and sometimes you say to an actor, well, I, I was, you know, thinking about you know, this or this part for you, do you have an opinion? And try to take opinions into account. Our audition forms always say, you know, are you interested in particular roles, mm-hmm. you know, um, but there's no guarantee that somebody will get cast that way. But that, um, and so it is trying to put together a grouping that in, you know, when the characters are presented, you know, makes sense in, you know, some in some sort of believable way that there are, uh, voices and ages and you know that 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 work um, I think this one is you know there are other relationships in other parts of the play that don't have anything to do with that initial family relationship but Polixenes has a family of his own back home in Bohemia and he he leaves right near the beginning of the play because of, of the you know, mess that's going on. In fact, he leaves before things get really bad, and there's a whole story in that too. And he has um, actually a son at home who's about the same age as Leontes and Hermione's son at the beginning. And we meet them. This not only play not only jumps in place, but in time. So it jumps 16 years to the future. So you when you, you meet Polixenes' son, he's pretty much grown up. And that's, you know, th- so you, you realize you're sort of starting again and finding out what kind of, what kind of uh, King Polixenes is when he's faced with a little family difficulty. And, and I have to say, he doesn't come out all that well either. <laughs> so maybe it's a problem for kings. <laughs> Could uh, be a fact yeah, of the, the era they're in. And- but... Uh, things at that point because Shakespeare is interested in bringing this back around and 
and getting some you know resolution that people will be comforted by it doesn't go as completely down the tubes as the first one does so maybe there was a lesson <laughs> maybe maybe well let's talk about the language and then about the um casting and working together uh, you know, there are various levels, I, I imagine, of people who have experience with Shakespeare or are new to Shakespeare. How did how did the, you know, first table reads and how did you, you go and work through this uh, language in the, the mm-hmm. you know, Shakespearean world? Well, I what I loved when I saw the cast list was I don't think I knew half the people mm-hmm. on the list. Um, and some mm-hmm. of the people I knew I hadn't worked with. So that was really cool. I always like being able to work with new people coming into the theater um especially people who haven't maybe done a lot of other shows and i think what actually is a good thing about shakespeare that might not appear to be so at first is his plays have such a big cast Mm -hmm. so if you want to get your foot in the door and do something smaller without maybe taking on something super huge you, you can do that with a shakespeare play you can come in and you can play you know some servant who runs on stage and has three lines and then runs off and then maybe in the next scene you're you're a dancing shepherdess um so i think it's an actually a really good way for people to do something with shakespeare but not have to have a really big commitment for memorizing these pages and pages of Mm -hmm. of words that some of us do Mm -hmm. and to still be part of the ensemble still be part and it's it's really it is great because it's a big cast and it's a wide range of ages and experience um, which is, I think, I mean, really, that's what community theater should be about. Mm-hmm. How about for you coming back to being on stage and working with a, a cast again? Well, with Leontes, I've been thrown in the deep end. Um, <laughs> yes, so you I, did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's wonderful to have a whole cast around you, and it's wonderful to be able to play off of people and to say, oh, can you try it this way? This is really going to help me if you do that. There was one moment in rehearsals when uh, there's this very intense scene between uh, Birch and I, and Birch turned on her heel and walked away, and I, without thinking at all, just chased after her. And afterwards I said, whatever we else we do in rehearsal, please just do that again. <laughs> because it's when you have someone else all of a sudden the lines and the character can come to life as the other characters pull you along with them. And that was just wonderful. And so I'm just looking forward to having more of those moments in rehearsal and then showing those moments to everyone outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there is, um, you know, like you said, a whole world that you're creating with this, mm-hmm. both of these families and the, these situations. And one thing we specifically wanted to mention was costuming the show, which is yes. always, yeah. I think, for Shakespeare, you can go in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. What has happened with this production? Well, um, Kate Stewart is our oh. costumer, and she has she's costumed a number of productions. She especially has worked with Purple Door. And mm. so, among other things, she is, you know... It, it absolutely blows my mind. She just is even blink at costuming a cast this size. Right. And, and, and Door often has giant casts. Yes. And, and, um, and the fact that we have um, sort of two cultures represented, and this is, I'm, I'm explaining this because this is partly how she started her process. So to be able to distinguish between the, the culture that is Sicilia and the culture that is Bohemia, um, which are real names but fictional places i mean bohemia has a a sea coast in the play which <laughs> we know it we know it doesn't uh, so it's just it's just a it's just a place name that says, as i have said to the cast numerous times hey everybody this is not england this could never happen here um it's fanciful yeah, right it's He's... fanciful mm-hmm. yeah it is and and fantasy is actually where she's used and the fact that also that it jumps 16 years and people in any culture don't wear the same exact clothes you might have sort of you know patterns that that hang on but that you know know, things change in 16 years so um one of the things she wanted to make sure i did say was that she is used to and her background is in costuming authentically so you know if you have you know renaissance costume that it should be you know convincing renaissance you know, an authentic enough to say that, yes, we know what period we're in. So the right kind of fasteners the, and colors and textures. Colors and, and textures and, and drapes of fabric and, mm. and accessories and so on. 
um, this is the first show I've been involved in that has quite so many hats. <laughs> so everybody has something on their head, which is uh, interesting. But I, I've always been, um, I've always wanted to not try be trying to um, evoke anything specific. So time, time specific, particularly or or mm. place or culture specific. So what she's managed to do. Um, in a way that I find, you know, thrilling, and I think I believe she's finding satisfying, is to take elements of different sort of costume traditions and turning them into a costume history for each of the two cultures, mm. so that um, so when people see the play at the beginning, most of the Sicilians will be in sort of jewel tone, you know. Uh, softer fabrics and so on, which. 16 years later has been kind of toned down, you know, partly due to the tragic circumstances and, and that, um, the Bohemians have more, you know, which is, we meet the, we meet the shepherds of Bohemia and stuff first before we meet anybody else, but more pastels and, and softer, um, things and a little bit more, I mean, I think we've, there's sort of, uh, oriental patterns and, you know, um, fuller pants and, and, and so on, so that uh, she's uh, managed to her own satisfaction to say, okay, here's year zero for this culture, and you get a glimpse of it from the two people from Bohemia who happen to be in Sicilia, and here 16 years later is how the people are now are dressing now, mm-hmm. and, and for reasons, if you think about the fact that, for example, in European things more recently and and here the hemlines went up and down depending on the economy and the state of war (laughs) and so on well 16 years later people you know in Sicilia are going to look a little bit different Um, uh, a couple of the characters in Bohemia from when we first see them at the end of the first half have come up in the world considerably and so they are dressing better and it's, it's been fascinating to me to watch her put all this together it's, and um, it sounds like a reason, another reason for the audience oh, to yeah, come. I think I want to make sure folks know the Winter's Tale. It's a Shakespeare in the Park event for the Northfield Arts Guild. It opens on Saturday, July twenty eighth, and no, that's not right, is it? Yes, Friday, July. Friday, 20th. yeah. I put the wrong. I got to correct my notes um, before yeah. it gets posted. Yeah. So it's Friday, the July twenty eighth, and then uh, runs through that weekend for um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday shows, all at 7 p.m. Correct. And then the next week, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Correct. August 3rd through the 5th. And you can get all the details and information at northfieldartsguild.org. Click under the theater button and the current season, 63rd, mm-hmm. 63rd season, um, where you'll be able to uh, get all yeah. purchase your tickets yeah. in advance. And, and, and I believe, actually, I believe Pauline, our performing arts manager, has got just a button right on the front page now that says buy tickets perfect easy to find you don't even have to go uh wandering to to find that and uh, folks should get those in advance sometimes they sell out and it'd be a shame to miss out on a production like this and uh, it is again at 7 p.m at central park so folks should know that too which uh right um downtown northfield just up the hill uh near carlton and the white center for creativity a really beautiful space. There's a that, as you mentioned, the circular uh, theater stage in the center of the park, which is the perfect setting. Mm-hmm. And the weather's going to be fabulous, and it's going to be a glorious oh, event. Oh, we, <laughs> cer- we certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to think about with the, the production, um, and it sounds really intriguing. I love how we've got these two sets of families, and if you come with an open mind and just a willingness to have a great night at theater, you'll it'll all. You guys will do do the work mm. for us in having it make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one other thing I wanted to mention, because you talked about uh, uh, responding to other actors, Paul is one of the other interesting things, in spite of the fact that he's a king and he's kind of lost, lost his cool more or less permanently, <laughs> um, there are a lot of people around him who try to... Uh, either mitigate this, cha- you know, get him to change his mind. And so there's some very interesting um, scenes, both between individuals, but also groups of, of saying, but, you know, 
but please stop this. Please, mm. please rethink, please. And we, I think all of us have found that fascinating that, it, you know, a king who, in theory at least, is an absolute monarch, still has people around him, you know, trying to point him in the right direction. And, uh, and it probably is an indication of how far gone <laughs> he is at the moment that he just doesn't listen to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, of course, where the drama comes in, right? Mm. And that's why he would have made a play that had it ex- everything exaggerated, perhaps. I, th- I think that might be one of the elements mm. of making it uh, kind of intriguing to the audience. What happens if... And how about for all of... You know, for for both of you um, and, you know, and in embracing these characters that misbehave, <laughs> uh, how does it feel to, um, mm. you know, try to connect with, with that... Well, and I never misbehave. Yeah. So, Hermione's perfect at all times. <laughs> oh, the character. I thought you were talking about you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, and you have a role because we mentioned it goes from back and forth from time. But so, and there's um, elements that are uh, part of the story that continue into the end of the way the story wraps up. I don't, we guess, and we don't really want to go too far into that. I think, yeah, we really would would rather people mm-hmm. discover it. Okay. <laughs> we will let that be the surprise. Though I can say, I think without giving too much away, that another challenge for the actor playing Leontes is that he's not Richard III. He needs to keep some of the audience's sympathy mm. right through to the end, which is very difficult. But um, if you can do it, then I think the ending is kind of magical and hopefully people will leave kind of pondering it because it's not an easy sum up ending it should make you imagine well what happens tomorrow mm. I think the ending is actually the hardest part for me um, because it's really not straightforward and there's a lot of questions and a lot of questions about why my character is doing what she does at the end mm-hmm. um, and, and is is <laughs> is it warranted like has have people earned and And that's probably why it's a play that people are maybe a little uh i don't i don't want to say confused because that's not the right word either um it's it's left i mean i think you you get a resolution but there are a lot of questions remaining okay that's fair and there are a lot of questions even i mean often at the end of a play uh, especially the comedies somebody says oh and now we're all going to go off and celebrate and you're going to tell me how how we all came to this so because there's usually at least one character sometimes more than one, at least one character who who can tell everybody in that group you know how we got from you know the last thing you knew to this the transitional you know, but mm-hmm. the audience doesn't i mean the audience has gotten some explanation of that, um, so the audience knows more than Leontes does, for ex- for example. But uh, yeah, it's um, I'd say there are also a number of other um, Shakespeare plays where you know, does everybody get the ending they deserve? You know, is this is this is this who is this a happy ending for, and is is it right? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, yeah. especially in our contemporary way of thinking, you think. Oh really? <laughs> and you know what? Uh, you know what? Uh, good God uh, of yeah, they, they appeal to Apollo a lot in this play. Uh, you know what? What? How has Apollo seen fit to allow this to come out the way it did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that I think that if the audience leaves wondering about those issues who is forgiven and why and what are the warrants for forgiveness and if they find themselves waking up the next day and thinking about those issues will have really succeeded yep. <laughs> yes and sometimes that's a good a good place and yeah. that's just a different kind of ending mm. and so that's an okay thing to have yeah. that kind of ending and uh, you know there's there's it's so much in the play I, I think maybe we should talk about one of the other elements you told me was uh, in the uh, table talk that you did as as a group and that is you know the idea of who is uh, disguised and um, who's hiding, who's, um, you know, just d- different ways of, of being um, seen and unseen in, in the play. Yeah, that's a little, that's a little different, difficult without spoilers. But uh, I mean, let me start by saying there are 
places in the play where people are literally disguised, um, sometimes with sort of nefarious intent. Uh, um, we've got one one sort of rogue who keeps popping up, <laughs> and uh, and 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 miraculously, people he's seen you know three other times don't recognize him. So that uh, you know, but that's that's kind of fun. But there are also. Um, there are dis- uh, deceptions that are for protection. There are disguises and deceptions that some though um, I think somebody is unaware of. There's somebody who is not who they believe they are, mm-hmm. um, and how um, how that's all you know mixed and used. A lot of times in other Shakespeare plays, um, it's the comedies where people are are disguised and because for, yeah, you know to you're, get the laugh. You're, you're dressed up <laughs> or you're dressed up like your you know brother because you know you and then somebody falls in love with you who shouldn't and i mean that's you know 12th night as well. <laughs> <laughs> um and i think there are um there are uh more important uh you know maybe um, more crucial reasons for deception and disguise in this well, play. I, and I, I was thinking that maybe that has something to do with the ending. That, and, and mm-hmm. I, I, well, there, there, is a, there, is a, there is a remarkable disguise at yeah. the ending that, yeah. is, that is revealed fairly quickly, but it's important. And, and I, I think that might help. It makes a little bit sense if you think yeah. of those things, the way that people mm-hmm. hide and, and mm-hmm. then or change their yeah. their their look and why and why they might might want to do, do that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else have we missed? What do we what do you want to tell people why why should they come and get their tickets for this production of uh, The Winter's Tale? Because it's a gorgeous Minnesota <laughs> summer and you get to listen to Shakespeare. <laughs> that is exactly right. <laughs> what would you say is your experience in the play has it uh told you about this you know, what, what have you learned about the play and, uh, you know, what you would like to people to see in, as if they come? Oh, um, I guess it's just, I, I love it because, um, it gathers people together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not just the people on the stage, but it's the audience as well. And, um, and we, we can't do it without doing it for an audience because <laughs> otherwise what's the point? So please come and, um, make all of our work worthwhile. Uh, so we can all, share this story with um, our community. Mm-hmm. And talking about the themes of disguise and deception, well, of course, that's theater. We're all in costumes. We're all putting on these characters. And I think there's a meta level in this play, which is about the power of theater and kind of how theatricality and performances can move people. Mm-hmm. And so I, what I hope is that, you know, come because this will be a really good example of the power of theater to move you and to make you wonder and think i we sure hope so i i think that's an an important element of theater right is it allows everybody to play Mm -hmm. and for everybody and as you mentioned in the beginning to create this uh special moment between audience and Mm -hmm. Uh, and because of the outdoors, you know, there's those elements that are kind of for everybody anticipating mm-hmm. what's going to happen and mm-hmm. how is this going to go and what are we going to, you know, feel tonight and see tonight. And it's it's a it's kind of magical uh, mm-hmm. of that that yeah. whole experience. And you only get that in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> we only get we only get to do that outside of Shakespeare in the Park in January. Be, I don't think that would be a, a Shakespeare big... on the skating rink. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare Shakespeare. on ice. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of that, let's come to this. And you also mentioned too, just for anyone who's a big Shakespeare fan, this is you don't have to be a big Shakespeare, you know, a a person to know and and enjoy this play. But if you do, there are apparently a few meta references to other elements of his plays, characters, situations, and that those will be fun to pull out if you're a super fan. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's necessarily doing that on purpose. I mean, I don't think he's putting those in there like to we would amuse his audience the way we, we sort of do, what is the thing? Easter, Easter egg. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, now, but I think it's just a, a function of, you know, he had been writing for so long and so many different things. And, and you know, there's, I mean, 
nothing new under the sun. You know, <laughs> everything is recycled all you know through all of fiction and, and theater. And as as he's as he's writing this, there's just little, you know. If you, if you have seen or read much Shakespeare, just little echoes here and there, and and the fun part about some of them is that they aren't they aren't matches. I mean, you don't see like oh here's this character again, but Verbatim, there's just little yeah. echoes of something that happened with another character in another play, and it's the same thing but different because mm-hmm. it's a whole different thing going on in the yeah in and he scene. might have still been you know having all those characters dancing around oh, and, i do not doubt it <laughs> <laughs> and wanting to tell the stories and yeah. adding thing elements mm-hmm. and yeah. things we'll never know but we get to enjoy and just 400 years and there's so many things that that you know those themes of you know forgiveness and um you know redemption and all those things are is relevant today as they were back then that that mm-hmm. you you start to ponder you know uh, who deserves that as we talked about in the ending and uh, there's so many things you can always take away from from one of these productions so and I, you can just sit there and enjoy the spectacle and the sad parts and the fun parts and sure you know, just, i think it helps too to put in context some of the stories we have going on in our world too right there's these things have been going on for a long time well one thing that came up is with the whole thing that happens between Hermione and Leontes, we were talking about it in rehearsals. Well, is this similar to like a messy celebrity divorce? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. There, there are stories out there mm-hmm. that echo some of this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's why we like to go. And I can't wait to see this production of The Winter's Tale. Again, it opens on the 28th, which is a Friday, and plays for two weekends, Mm -hmm. uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. All shows at 7 o'clock. You can get tickets at northfieldartsguild.org. Buy them in advance, but I suppose they could come and see if there's something available that night. Mm -hmm. We will will sell tickets at the door. And in fact, in the past, we've, um, you know, Sold ticket, sold seats on the wall for people who want them. If there aren't, <laughs> if there aren't chairs left, so that you know, everyone's welcome. We'd rather not turn anybody away. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um, it's really been a pleasure to learn a little bit more about this production. I can't wait to uh, see it. To um, thank you, Paul Gleason, for being here. I hope you will come back again. Maybe there'll be more productions in your future. And Birch Carlson, thanks for being here as well. And director Susan Carlson. It's been a delight. Thank you for having us. Of course. This is Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. I want to thank you for being a part of the show today. And as always, please remember to tune your imagination and uh, enjoy that imagination of yours. You've been listening to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. Connect and experience art at the Northfield Arts Guild. Visit our galleries, arts festival, and take in a performance at our theater featuring a full season of dramas, comedies, and musicals. The Guild's gift shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. Hello, everyone. This is Marty Barnes.